share with you quickly before she gets off stage. Today is Christy's birthday. So say, okay. Happy birthday. It's her 29th birthday. Um, you could pull it off, Christy. Nobody would, nobody would not believe it. So, uh, so wish her a happy birthday when you, when you get a chance. I also want to say as, a, as a, a word of um, appreciation, joy, thank you, everybody who was a part of Trunk or Treat last week. It was a great evening. I especially want to give a thanks to Lauren and to the special events team, a lot of you, a lot of you who volunteered. And, um, you know, we had a team in the kitchen. We had people helping tear down. We had people, you know, working the food tables and, and certainly then everybody who was, who was on the trunks and handing out the candy and stuff. If you got a chance to see the video, the, the announcements this morning, you saw the, um, the dinosaur costume. That was my costume. I never wore it, but that was my costume. Tony bought that for me and then took it away and said she uh, wanted it. And so she, that was Tony, and the, there, that's Tony. So um, that, that was her, and that was probably the most fun she's had it in a costume in a long time. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't take it back because she was way better at it than I would have been. Um, plus, I'm not sure I'd have fit in it. So... Um, but, uh, but anyway, thanks, thanks everybody who, uh, who was a part of that. It really, really was uh, a lot of fun last week. And so um, we, uh, we, we kind of start with both of those joys, birthdays and, and good times. And it's appropriate that we do that. Now, let's, uh, let's kind of transition this morning. We're going to immediately turn to our scripture uh, the 107th Psalm. And, and this is part of the, the reading for the day. And the reading's broken up with some of the, the first seven verses of this chapter, and then a few of the verses at the end. Um, but let me really encourage you. We're going to talk this morning as we, as we explore this. We're going to talk about the, the psalm in its entirety. And, and I encourage you to go back and read it in its entirety. We, we kind of artificially break it up here this morning, but, but it's really meant to be read um, as a whole. And I hope you'll take some time on your time to do that and, and kind of catch the frame and the flow of the entire psalm. But, um, but let me begin with, with the reading for the day, which, again, the 107th psalm, the first seven verses, and then we'll jump to verse 33. And this is what we read. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. That should be a very familiar refrain to you. And we sing that and we proclaim that often. The psalmist goes in now to begin to explain the reason for this joy and this thanksgiving. He says, Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands from the east and west, from the north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty. Their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Now to verse 33. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste, because of the wickedness of those who live there. He turned the desert into pools of water, and the parched ground into flowing springs, where there he brought the hungry to live. And they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. Friends, sisters, we give thanks to God here at the reading of his word. Let us pray. 
Gracious Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for the hope that we have through faith. Speak to us now in these moments. Draw us close to you, close to one another as we walk this road of faith together. In Christ we pray. Amen and amen. Last May, I had the chance um, to experience graduation uh, from a perspective and in a way that, um, that I never had before. And that is from the perspective as a parent. I've certainly had graduations and I've attended graduations over the years, but it was the first time with Ryan's high school graduation that, that Tony and I got to kind of experience it from that perspective and, and the emotion that, that accompanies that. And, and that'll be, we'll get to do it again next year or a year and a half with, with Cassidy and then hopefully a few more times beyond that. But, uh, but it's an interesting experience and it's an interesting feel, if you will, um, at a graduation ceremony. Many of you know this, you've, you've been there yourself. But, but graduation is, is a time of incredible optimism. It is, it is incredible whether or not a student has, you know, kind of barely got there or the student, you know, was at the, the, the top of the class. Parents and grandparents and friends and family, you gather with a sense of, of optimism and hope and expectation for what the next step in the life of this young man or this young woman is going to be. What's the next step in, in their life and, and their journey? And, and it's fun to watch and to observe. You know, graduations can be a little long, so you get a chance to really watch and see. And, and you, can, you can sense the flow around a room um, with and begin to identify where families are. You know, it's kind of when, when students are introduced, where are their families? You can do it sometimes by the noise they make. You also do it because the cell phones come out right at that moment. You know, they go up. Everybody captures the moment. And it would be fun to, to, to ask parents, you know, to interview and say, what are, what are your hopes? What do you hope that, that your young man or your young woman becomes? What do you see as their future? As I said, it's, it is really a, a time of intense optimism and hopefulness. And so with that in mind, here's what I think. I think you'd hear a number of hopes for, you know, for careers and families and for things that, that we'd hope that, that these young people achieve in their life. Here's one I would expect you would not hear. And that is that we hope our young Bobby or Susie, we hope he or she becomes a trash picker. We'd like them to be, and I'm not talking about a sanitation worker. No, no shame, that's, that's a noble profession. I'm talking about a trash picker. I'm talking about the kind of person that goes through the garbage looking for things of, of value to, to, to claim. That, that kind of thing. I would bet to say nobody has ever envisioned that as the life direction for a young person. Now, sometimes that happens in life. And please don't hear shelter or, 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 or guilt or shame over that kind of a thing. But, but I don't think anybody is, you know desires for that. Unless you are Matt Malone. If your name is Matt Malone, then that would not be true. I came across this story, it's a couple years old now, of Matt Malone, who is described in an article by Wired Magazine as a professional dumpster diver. A professional dumpster. He is a um, security analyst. He makes a very, very good living. But in his early years, when things were a little tighter, he began dumpster diving and finding treasures and 
repurposing them and, and reselling them. So much so that he estimates today he can make, get this, $250,000 a year dumpster diving. He calls himself a for-profit human archaeologist. <laughs> That's what he says. He's a for-profit archaeologist. And this is what he does. He's strategic. He is strategic. He goes to dumpsters behind superstores, supermarkets, not supermarkets, um, retail stores, um, Best Buys, uh, Walmarts, those kind of stores. Because this is what he's learned over the years, that open box items that aren't resold, that get returned, sometimes with nothing, they get thrown away. And he finds them. And maybe they're scratch and dent, maybe they're, there's a little cosmetic issue, but he fixes them and he resells them. He makes tremendous money. And the other place he goes, not only to, he goes to college dormitories at the end of a semester. Some of you are nodding your head, right? Because we're already thinking about Ryan at the end of the year. How are we going to get all the ex extra stuff he's accumulated home? And a lot of times in a throwaway society, and that's a whole different exploration for us, but things of value get thrown away. Well, he finds them. He restores them. And he reclaims the value, if you will, of them. And his quote in one of it that really caught my attention as he says, things that have been discarded, things that have been dented or, or scratched, he said, with a little love can be restored to pristine condition. Can be restored with a little love. And there's this image, this picture they took of him for this article that I read, of him literally dangling over the side of a dumpster, right, to go through to pick stuff out. And I started to think about that image of this man finding these treasures among those things that have been discarded as considered no longer of having value. This image of him hunched over a dumpster pulling out things of worth. And I thought, what an image of God that would be. I've never seen that picture. I've never seen the artist picture God as digging through the trash to find things of value. But isn't that what God does? Isn't that what God does? That's what this psalm, this psalm is a psalm, a song, a prayer of, of redemption. Redemption simply means to be reclaimed, to be repurposed, to be given value. It is to take something that has been discarded or considered worthless or no longer purposeful. And, and to take ownership of that and to, to, in that, place value and worth upon it. That's, that's kind of a, a, a big umbrella understanding of what happens in redemption. And we worship a God, who that, that's his calling card, to redeem. Let the, let the redeemed of God say so, to, to put value on something that, that might have at one point been discarded and set aside. That's what this, this psalm celebrates. And it does it in a repetitive pattern, four times through the Psalms. The middle part, which we, we, I, had, I skipped over just for time this morning. But there is this repetitive pattern of, of acknowledging that there are times that we find ourselves in distressful situations. 
And, and the first one that we read was the wanderer, the person who is lost, the person who has no home or the community, the people who have no home, no, no city to go to, no place to, to find shelter and, and food and crying out to God in that place of need. And if you go, you pick up where we left off, the next one talks about the prisoner who is, who is chained, who is bound, who is, is confined who cries out to God in their bondage for freedom. The next image that is shared is the one who is afflicted. And, and the, the, the scripture, some of the translations use the word sick, but the Hebrew word there really means foolish. So it's an affliction that is caused not by external circumstances, but by internal choices. You know, there are times that we find ourselves in difficult situations. There are times that we suffer or we struggle because of circumstances beyond our control. There's no doubt about that. You know, don't ever hear me say that when things are tough, it's always because you've done something. Because sometimes it's this difficult journey of life. But let's also acknowledge that sometimes our distress, sometimes our suffering, sometimes our difficulties, sometimes the things that we're going through is because of the decisions we've made. Because we all, at one time or another, have found ourselves doing foolish things. You know, we, we all have. And so sometimes it's self-inflicted wounds. And that's the, the theme of that part of the, the psalm, is that there, there's this affliction brought on by, by the choices that have been made. But yet, even in that, there's this cry out to God. And then the last one is, is an image of a sailor or sailors who are being tossed by the storms. who are, Their lives are threatened by the storms and the roughness of the sea. And they cry out for God for deliverance. The person who feels lost, the person who feels confined and chained, the person who is suffering from their own foolish choices, or the person that is experiencing the worst of the storms of life. Does this resonate with anybody? Any plane you find yourself in one of those places? Any of you find yourself in all four from time to time? You know? That's, that's the reality. That's what, what's saying. These, these realities of life that make us either feel or sometimes cast us aside that as if somehow we find ourselves in these, you know, these these trash piles, these, these piles of mess, and, and we feel discarded, and we feel worthless, and we feel like we're going through this, this reality of, of not being of worth and of value. And in each of the Psalms, the pattern is consistent. After the cry to God, the wanderer, the prisoner, the afflicted, the sailor at sea, they find deliverance. God who hears their cry. God who hears the cry of his people. God who redeems, who brings them back, who, who establishes them, replants them in the city, breaks their chains, forgives their failures, calms the storms. God who hears the distress, the stress of his people. And in his deliverance, they sing their songs of praise. So it is a recognition of a situation. It is a cry out to God for help. It is an experience of deliverance, and it is a celebration of God's goodness. It is redemption. It is the pattern that permeates the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. It's a story of our lives, not just their lives. It is our lives. But it is this image that I can't shake of God who is constantly redeeming and repurposing, and finding even in the trash piles of life, each of us who are created with infinite value, because we are created in the image of God, a God who just doesn't stop going after us to bring us home.
and to restore us to something of beauty and of worth. That is the image. It's testimony. It's, it's, the, it's the truth of the stories of our lives because I think all of us have found ourselves in these places at one time or another. Different extremes, different stories. But the reality, we find ourselves there. And we need to reclaim our stories. So the psalm begins, let the people tell their story. I don't think, and I'm guilty of this, we do enough of creating room for people, for you, to tell your stories. The scriptures are full of that. Testimony. Paul does it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He talks about the times he's been beaten 40 times with the lash. He talks about the times he's been in prison, the times he's been, he's been on the run for his life or shipwrecked. He talks about this litany of really bad stuff that's happened to him, and he does it in the framework of giving God glory for his goodness and his presence in the midst of it. Philippians chapter 4. 12 and 13, he talks about, he knows what it's like to have plenty, and he says, I know what it's like to have nothing, to be in want. And then he leads into that familiar verse, but I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Jesus, Luke chapter 4, he says, I have come. He says, what, what's my purpose? I have come to create testimony. You know what that testimony is? Here's the testimony, to preach good news to the poor, freedom for the captives, liberation for the suffering. It is this proclamation that our stories are not always stories of, of great joy, but they're never stories of complete abandonment. God always is coming for us, even when we, by the circumstances or the choices of our life, find ourselves far from God. He's constantly seeking to redeem his people. And that is wonderful, powerful news. And we need to tell and celebrate those stories. I think sometimes in the church, we just they're, they're, they can be tough stories. They can be uncomfortable stories. But we, we celebrate today, and John mentioned in prayer, I mean, this is the Sunday after All Saints Day. And, and there's two images of saints that, that we may have. Some of you, if you grew up in a Catholic background, you have this, this image of sainthood as those who have risen above. The, 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 the highest... Um, example of faithfulness of, of men and women. And those are important stories, and we'll talk about some of those in a minute. But, but in the Protestant tradition, we understand sainthood very much the way Paul talks about it in Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. He says, let the sanctified, those who are sanctified in Jesus Christ, who are called to be saints, those who are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints, who are followers of Jesus. Basically, sainthood isn't an elevated status. It is a community of those, even in our brokenness, who are called to follow Jesus. Community of those who, though we may stumble along, continue in the path of discipleship. And our stories are rough around the edges. The story of the saints are not always clean and neat. I remember years ago, a leader in the church I was serving came in to my office just to talk. Uh, he, was, he taught Bible study. He was one of those guys that, you know, you could count on whenever you needed him. He was there all the time. He was, you know, a saint of the church, as we sometimes esteem those, you know, as we, he was a pillar of the church. And, and I was forever thankful for his, his ministry. But he began to tell me his story, not of ministry and Bible studies, but the story before he knew Jesus. And it was a story he didn't tell very much. But it was rough. I mean, it was a story of a man who was about as far away from God as you can imagine, who left a path of destruction and devastation in relationships throughout his early years. It was a story that he was very much embarrassed by, which is why he didn't tell it very much. But it was one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard. 
because he was the kind of guy that nobody would have made a mistake of ever expecting him to show up in church, let alone teach a Bible study. In fact, if anyone ever said this guy in his young years was going to be teaching a Bible study, you'd have thought, that's bad news. But God had gotten hold of his life, and his story had changed. That's redemption. And, and I thought about it, and he said, his, his quote to me I'll never forget was, God rescued me from the trash heap of life. And I have that image of, of, of Mark Malone hunched over a dumpster looking for the treasure. God just keeps looking and keeps coming. Those are our stories. And, and they're important to remember. Even the stories of the elevated saints in the tradition of our, our friends in the Catholic Church. Their stories aren't so clean either. One of the worst things we do, and I do this as a preacher sometimes, is we whitewash stories. You know, we get up at the, at the, the memorial service and we say all the best. And, and we should. I mean, we do want to honor those. But I think there's really power in, in also remembering, maybe not in the service, but sometimes remembering some of the, the redemption stories, some of the ways that they weren't, nobody was perfect. Nobody was, was um, beyond mistakes or, or challenges in their life. And sometimes those stories have such power for us. We do that with the, with the great saints. We forget their stories before they knew God. St. Augustine, okay, the great one of the, probably had more influence on Christian thought than anybody beyond Paul. You know, this great teacher and, and, and theologian in the early church, St. Augustine, okay? Most people don't remember the early part of his story. St. Augustine grew up in a Christian household. His, his, or his mother, St. Monica, was, was a follower of Jesus, and she wanted her son to be a follower of Jesus. He didn't want to be a follower of Jesus. And so his early years were marked by um, hedonism and partying and, and womanizing. In fact, his famous prayer... The famous prayer of St. Augustine was, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. <laughs> right? I mean, he, he, he had a child with a mistress, and he left the mother and the baby to go be with an heiress because he thought that he could get wealthy by being with her. It just wasn't a pretty story. Yet God got a hold of his life, and the trajectory changed. Even as far away from God as he was, he wasn't too far. And, and those kind of stories we can find. I used to have a book. Well, I have a book somewhere, but I used to keep it on my bedside table. And it, for every day of the year, it had the story of one of the saints. And there were great stories to read because it was complete pictures. Stories like St. Mary of Egypt. Not the Mary, but St. Mary of Egypt, who for 17 years was a prostitute before God got hold of her life. St. Angela, who for many years was an adulteress, um, a materialistic, chaste wealth and comfort. God got a hold of her life. St. Bartola, who was a priest in a satanic cult, God got a hold of his life. These are stories of redemption. Now, our stories most likely aren't so dramatic, but they're no less powerful because God gets a hold of our lives. The quote attributed to Augustine, but I don't know who, whether it was truly him, but it doesn't really matter, but, but it says this. It says, every saint has a past. And every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past. And every sinner has a future. We, we come to God honestly. And sometimes we come broken. But the good news is that life does batter us. Life does bruise us. That's not good news in itself. That's, that's just reality. But the blessing is that God never abandons us. 
That the blessing is that we are never too far from redemption. We're never beyond God's ability to take that battered, bruised, scratched, dented, messed up, messy life and turn it into something of immense value and beauty, even with the scars and the rough edges. Claim that blessing. Claim that. Don't be ashamed of your past, but look to your future and look to what God has in store. Because he keeps digging, he keeps searching, and his greatest heart, his greatest hunger is to redeem his people, created in his image. That's you and that's me. We do get battered, we do get bruised, but even in those places, we are blessed. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we we give you thanks for the promise of, of faith, the promise of your love that never stops seeking us, never stops reaching for us, never stops desiring to take the messiness of our lives and to bring us into the safe haven, to bless us by the power of your redemption. Hear our prayer as we come honestly and open to you and help us not only to, in fact, help us not to focus on the mistakes of our past, but the promise of our future that we have through faith in Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen.